and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron, also of Glacially Musical, joined by Duncan Evans, the dark folk metalurgist from Leeds, UK. How are we doing today? Yeah, doing well. Just been to see the Elvis movie. Um, spoiler alert, he dies. Um, oh, Sorry about that, Nick. I I'm know seeing it today, today at three. I know, I know. Spoiler alert, he becomes a really famous singer. No, oh. but it's, it's very, <laughs> it's really good, actually. Yeah, well worth a watch. I would recommend that. It's not what, not necessarily something I would have chosen to go to. I would have been open to seeing it, but my partner really wanted to go. So we went and I actually read a review or two before going and, and the reviews were really, uh, re- really praising it. So, um, yeah, uh, it deservedly so. Yeah, great film. Not what you'd necessarily expect, not a straightforward biopic, but really good. I really don't like Elvis even a little. Elvis is one of those artists that I can find nothing that he has done that I enjoy. However, well, I, I don't go that far. I'm not an Uber fan at all. I have a couple of records. I do like his stuff, but it's very hit and miss for me. I don't think he's it's one of those things I appreciate the influence massively. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I just don't like the music, but I get the, it. I get it. The guy in in the previous, the the guy playing Elvis looks like he has just absolutely nailed it. So yeah, it it does work. And um, Tom Hanks is great as his manager, Tom uh, Tom Parker as well. And that is actually a big part of why I'm willing to go see it. Tom Hanks as Mr. White in That Thing You Do was one of my absolute favorite roles of his. And I'm thinking this will be a similar kind of role that he should be able to do really well. So I am excited to see that. Um, any uh, Anything else we need to talk about today? Or do we want to... No, I, I don't think so. I think um, I'm trying to find a segue here, um, but um, I, I can't find a particularly witty segue from Elvis into what we're talking about. So I'm just going to Well, not say... long after Elvis dies, David Coverdale uh, yeah. goes and... Oh, right before Elvis dies, go. he goes and this, this re- gets released, so... Same year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there we go. That's the segue. 1977, key events um, around the world, (laughs) Elvis's death and the release of seminal album, or perhaps not, White Snake, two words, by David Cardale. I had never heard of this until you suggested it. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to pull up David Coverdale's Deep Purple uh, era. Which was yeah, basically just, just yeah, basically it was only like two and a half years. Yeah, was it seventy five or seventy six? Come taste the band, which was the last uh, Deep Purple one that he Let's did. Before the, well, that's the last one they did before they split. Discography, uh, okay, that's just so yeah. Come taste the band is seventy five. Yeah, so it was like um, uh, basically two years later. Uh, well, he was also, but he was on Stormbringer and Burn as well. So oh, oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. He was on those. Um, Burn being, I mean, that's a great album. It was the first Deep Purple one I got. And I, I would say that's the only classic one that Coverdale was on of Deep Purple, but it is a very, uh, very impressive album. Well, you don't think uh, previous Department of Middle Antiquities subject, Come Taste the Band, is, uh, is not I classic? I would not say that was classic. I think, did we bin that one? We did bend that one because it did was awful. It. I thought so, yeah. I uh, actually um, have come across it on vinyl recently. Okay. However, they wanted $25 and I went, nope. nope no, not worth I've that. heard this. But the last album he was on was Come Taste the Band, as you said. 
it was released in October of 75. Yeah, then, so this is almost two years, pretty much two years afterwards. But yeah. this was recorded in 70. It was recorded in August of 76. Oh, right. So, and I believe he was still, look, yeah, he was in March 76 was the last show with Deep Purple. So Coverdale reportedly walked off in tears and handed in his resignation, to which he was told there was no band left to quit. So they'd obviously decided to disband it. They'd already decided that um, and hadn't told anyone. John Lord and Ian Pace were the only two original members, decided they weren't going to do it. Interestingly enough, both John Lord and Ian Pace ended up as members of Whitesnake. They're not on this solo album, but they ended up as members of Whitesnake. Um, but yeah, Coverdale said, I was frightened to leave the band. Purple was my life. Purple gave me my break, but all the same, I wanted out. And David so, Coverdale is also the only member, the only singer from Deep Purple not to end up in Black Sabbath. Yeah, and reportedly he was offered the job and turned it down. That's what Kerrang said in 1982. Wouldn't surprise yeah. me. But uh, so, yeah, and Deep Purple, after Come Taste the Band, they, they folded it and they didn't come back until 1984. Yeah. I'm actually just going to check. I'm, I'm just going to clarify. I'm going to be a stickler here. The first Deep Purple singer, who I believe was called Rod Evans, he didn't end up in Black Sabbath. He was on the three albums that no one knows about, which at some point we should probably do one of. Oh, anyway. I didn't know that though. I, okay. Let There's me three albums that they released in like the late 60s that no one knows about that were like, they were kind of a third yeah, rate psychedelic band. And yeah, and later on, later on, Rod Evans teamed up with a guy i've forgotten the name of the guy but one of these sort of um, impresarios who specialize in basically getting back together lineups of classic bands with almost no members and he basically approached rod evans and said hey you were in deep purple right well deep purple were massive they're now not together in the early 80s so why don't you create a new deep purple and apparently they had a guy that looked like like a, a richie blackmore lookalike and they, they were doing songs from Burn and stuff and like announcing them as, hey, this is from our album, Burn. And he was out of the band. He like, did hey, a tour. Yeah, exactly. He began it. So, I'm sorry, I, I'm reading this now and I this now has to be. So let me, here's the Wikipedia article. In yeah. 1980, Evans was approached by a management company, Advent Talent Associates, that specialized in making money from reformed groups with a minimum of original members who offered, him, who offered him a chance to sing again under the Deep Purple name, which he accepted. Evans began the began a tour under the Deep Purple name, accompanied by three former members of Steppenwolf and an unknown session musician. The lineup was Rod Evans, Tony Flynn on guitar, Tom DeRivera on bass, Jeff Emery on keyboards, and Dick Jurgens III on drums, son of famous big band leader Dick Jurgens. Wow. After several shows ended in near riots, Evans was successfully sued by the management of the Genuine Deep Purple in order to pay damages of six hundred seventy-five thousand uh, dollars, two point two million in twenty twenty-one dollars, which included one hundred seventy thousand in actual damages, five hundred four thousand. In punitive damages, further to this, Evan, his bandmates Flynn, Emery, Jurgens, and Advent Talent Associates were also ordered to pay $143,000 to cover legal fees. As, yeah. as Evans had no capacity to pay this amount, he was ordered to forfeit all future royalties from the albums and singles recorded by the Mark I lineup of the band. For many years afterwards, Evans did not receive royalties from the band's first three albums. There you yeah. go. So, yeah, um, yeah, not a great idea. It didn't end well. The audiences didn't like it. Um, 
but anyway, we we digress. We digress. So, um, basically, Coverdale leaves Deep Purple and then decides to go solo. And he now, well, not now, but later on, he said, "Look, it's difficult to think back and talk sensible, sensibly, sensible about the first album." White Snake had been a very inward-looking, reflective and low-key affair in many ways, written and recorded as it was in the aftermath of the collapse of Deep Purple. So I think he didn't really know what he was doing at this stage, but he wanted to do something, put out a solo album. It basically flopped. Um, I believe his second album, North Winds, which I haven't heard either, that did a bit better. Um, so, yeah, this was a flop. But of course, as we all know, this sowed the seeds of what was to become one of the biggest hard rock bands of really, really they were known as an 80s band, White Snake. Um, so uh, yeah, this was not only the name of the album being White Snake as two words, but guitarist Mickey Moody was um, the, the guitar player on this record, who of course stayed with White. He might even still be with them now. I'm not sure about that actually, but he certainly stayed with White Snake for years. Um, so yeah, and I'll tell you who else is on this as well. Roger Glover. So the bass player from Deep Purple that Coverdale did not work with is not only on this playing bass, one of two bass players, so I don't know which ones he played bass on or not, but he plays synths and percussion, some vocals, and produced the album as well. Yeah, this album has a lot of people on it. And... Yeah. Well, you've got Simon Phillips, who was... Um, oh, Roger Glover. Sorry. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Previous, previous podcast subject, Roger Glover. Of the Butterfly Ball fame. The Butterfly yeah. Ball. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I mean Simon Phillips, that name sounds familiar. Who's Simon Phillips? Okay, so he was on oh, by the way, I'm just looking now. Mickey Moody was with White Snake till 84, so he wasn't with them all the way through. Yeah, he's doing solo stuff now. Yeah. Um, and I think later formed a band called The Snakes, which I guess might have been former members. I think it was uh, Bernie Marston as well. But anyway, yeah. So this guy, um, Mr. Simon Phillips was in Toto. And has done all sorts of um, session stuff as well. So yeah, worked with Toto from ninety, but but from ninety two to ninety to twenty fourteen. So he wasn't the original, but he's worked. He's essentially a session guy. He's worked with all sorts: Jeff Beck, John Lord, Mike Oldfield, Judas Priest, um, The Who. So he's never really been the main guy in any band, but he's been the replacement guy in all the bands. Um, yeah. Then there's this guy. Um, Tim Hinckley. He, he also started early as in, in a production of the musical Jesus Christ Superstar as the drummer. All right. There you go. So I'm trying so to figure I, out if he was actually on the album or not. Probably not. Right. right. So basically, a lot of these are, so apart from Mickey Moody, who obviously carried on to become uh, the guitar player in Whitesnake, um, not sure what he did before this point, but anyway, who knows? But basically, the rest of them seem to be top class session musicians that the sort of people that have played with everyone but not necessarily been in a band as a main member uh for yeah for, for any big period of right time. sorry i'm i'm off the rails a little bit this morning it's we're recording early whenever we record early i'm never i'm never as That's prepared right. as i need to be <laughs> it's cool man um so yeah that's most of what i think i have oh yeah well here we go songwriting is handled either every song is either just coverdale or it's coverdale and moody so i think probably moody wrote a lot of the riffs a lot of the more guitar riffy ones are probably moody's riffs um well he's with, only got co-writes on four songs yeah but four out of nine so it's like half yeah. nearly um yeah. 
And um, Birdman, Blind Man, sorry, not Birdman. I'm thinking of the film, which is a great film. But anyway, Blind Man was later re-recorded by Whitesnake in 1980, so only three or four years later mm. for their album Ready and Willing. Um, and also David Coverdale plays the piano on this. Yes, that's. I was just thinking, what else do I need to say? And that's what I needed to say. Yeah, there's some lovely piano on this. And I was thinking, who plays it? And there's no one else listed as piano. There's there's someone else who plays like organ and stuff, but there's no one else. And there's Roger Glover plays some synths, but only Coverdale is um, piano player. So I never knew he played piano, but you know it's it seemed it's very well played. So he, he must have had piano lessons as a kid and stuff. And um, yeah, the the well piano was very much Leonard Skinner inspired. Oh sure, the whole where, album you know it. very much Leonard Skinner, which is very much Jerry Lee Lewis, which is very sure. much. Um, Oh God, what's his name? Little Richard. So yeah, it's and then there's also a sax and flute player, Ron Asbury, mm-hmm. Asbury, mm-hmm. whom I've Asbury, never heard yeah. of. No, uh, I think he has. Yeah, when you click his name on Wikipedia, it just goes straight to a band called Backdoor, who were a yeah. jazz rock trio formed in 1971. Um, so there you go. Oh yeah, so yeah, it sounds about right based on what I heard today. Yeah. So what's interesting is there's some brass on this, but I'm thinking actually it isn't technically brass. I'm thinking what I've been calling brass is actually just layers of saxophone because like saxophone obviously is a woodwind instrument, but it gets put in brass sections and kind of sounds brassy. So it sort of counts as brass. Um, But there's no, there's no brass instruments like trumpets and trombones listed on here. So I think the brass section is just Ron Asprey four times. That's what I'm thinking as well, because I I thought the same thing, that there was a lot of, of brass, and mm. apparently there is precisely zero. Yeah, technically speaking, yeah, exactly. All right, well, um, I'm ready to crack into this. I don't I don't think there's a whole lot else apart from yeah, just to say that it essentially did not do well. It bombed. Oh, one more thing, it was released on Purple Records. And as we know, it was we already know it was produced by Roger Glover. So the Deep Purple connection never really went away for quite a lot of years with um, Coverdale. As as he continued with the first few White Snake albums, everyone from Deep Purple just joined. So I I believe um, Ian Pace came back in on drums. John Lord came in, and then um, was even Roger Glover in at one point. That might be wrong, but he had at least two of the other members, and of course himself. So that's three out of Deep Purple being a five-piece band. So at one point, you've got more members from, um, you know, a classic lineup of Deep Purple than there were probably in some lineups of Deep Purple. You mean like the current lineup of Deep Purple? Well, probably, yeah. Yeah, I think there's probably, what, Glover, Pace and Gillen at the moment. So, yeah, about the same three members. There you go. I didn't even know Gillen was in it right now. But that's I think, yeah, yeah, pretty sure, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's interesting how, or uh, my question is, was there ever a White Snake album with Glenn Hughes on it? No, pretty sure there wasn't. So there's not been a Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale reunion Lab since then. No, I think that is correct. Um, I have to find out now if there were ever any more Deep Purple members uh, in in the band White Snake, but we'll find that got a feeling this this is going to be a long wikipedia article so i'll get that up in the background but yeah in the meantime shall we crack into the track by track yeah let's go into this this is uh this one something <laughs> starts okay. off track one uh mickey moody co-write 
lady what do you what do you have on this one okay here we go so yeah ladies this was a single one of three singles released um this is not what I expected. It kicks in with groovy Southern rock-ish kind of rock and roll um, vibes with brass or probably saxophone, but, you know, comes across as like a brass section, Hammond organ, very prominent slide guitar playing kind of melodies. So very Leonard Skinner. Um, yeah, just, just more earthy, more rootsy, more american than what i expected i thought we were going to get bluesy hard rock um but no this isn't even hard rock really this is just rock and roll with a even a bit of country in there so yeah lyrics about um a kind of party woman it all seems i mean it's fairly standard rock and roll stuff really but i i, I guess i would liken the sound to this 70s stone stuff where they started bringing in a bit of gospel influence and doing this really kind of laid back, groovy Americana influence stuff. And I have to say, I like, I really like that Stones era. So there's some gospel ish female backing vocals. Um, it's got some good hooks in it, actually. Ish for now. Say again. Gospel ish backing vocals for now. Yeah. yeah. Just for now. Yeah, so I I thought this is this is a pretty good song. It's nothing mind blowing. You've heard it before, but I have to say the hooks were better than what I expected for some reason. But the style was not what I expected. Okay, let me say, let me preface everything I'm going to say on the track by track today by with this one statement: I had never heard this album before. Neither had I, by the way. Okay. I had heard what David Coverdale did before it, and I've yep. heard what David Coverdale did after it. Me too. This album, however, had not heard. So I assumed, and you know what they say when you assume. Do you have that, that, that saying over there? Makes an ass out of you and me. Correct. I assumed that I was going to get a David Coverdale record. Yep. It reminded me of David Coverdale. Mm-hmm. Because I have heard David Coverdale in Deep Purple. I have heard David Coverdale in Whitesnake. I have heard David Coverdale in Page and Plant. And David Coverdale is always the same guy. I don't know what happened here. Something funny happened on the way to the forum this week. So this song kicks out and I'm like, this is Elf. Right, right, right. I can, yeah, I didn't think that, but I know what you mean. And, you know, previous uh, podcast subject, Elf featuring Ronnie James Dio. Uh, that's, and I mean, I'm like going, what in the world is this? Mm. And on the first track, I'll be honest, I could never quite figure it out. I could never get to the point where I'm like, oh, this makes sense. But yes, it's very Americana. It's very old school. Pianos, woodwinds. This is this is somewhere between Leonard Skinner and Frank Sinatra. Mm, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And nowhere near David Coverdale. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, track two then. So track two is Blind Man, and I know I'm just I'm just going to say this. You haven't mentioned it yet. I know. I think at some point you might have doubled up two songs in your notes. So we don't know where. So at some point, Nick's going to read the wrong notes, but it's going to be amusing to find out when that happens so i think it's later so, okay that's cool 
All right. So Blind Man, track two. What did you make of this one? You know, it was slower than the first one. There's a lot of good melody. There's a lot of really good lead guitar work here. And this time we get a David Coverdale song. Mm -hmm. He's screaming. He's doing his thing. I see him shaking his hips, wearing his leather pants and his boots with the little chains on them. His hair's bleach blonde, I'm sure. So I was, you know, that, I thought that was cool. This is probably my favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this Which is the is one that was... So it's all downhill <laughs> for, for me at this point. Well, this one was later re-recorded by Whitesnake. And I guess based on what you've just said, that all makes sense. This, Yeah, you're right. This is a more classic Coverdale-esque song. So I've put moody acoustic guitar is what it starts with. And that was not meant to be a pun, but of course it was indeed... Um, played by Mickey Moody. So there we are. So it's definitely Moody acoustic guitar and synth melodies. It starts off kind of balladish. Um, good vocals is in this moody, uh, moody mode. It's kind of croonery, ballady mode. But then it kicks in with, the, with some piano and the full band and electric guitar. And it's got a great chorus, this, with some more, again, gospelish backing vocals, but it still feels a bit more hard rock. I, I would say this to me is like Deep Purple combined with Leonard Skinner. So you've still got a bit of the Southern rock and a bit of the gospel, but you've got the hard rock riffs and stuff in there as well. Yeah, good solo. Slightly weird mix, I have to say. I don't know if Roger Glover mixed it or if or not, but like as the, as the band gets louder, um, Coverdale kind of gets a bit lost. What I did find interesting is that because even though you've said Coverdale's always the same guy, I think he did go through a bit of an evolution, which is like at first he very much tries to be Paul Rogers. Like he's got this low kind of deep, um, sonorous, bluesy voice. Later on, he starts to realise that he can squeal a bit like Robert Plant. And then he starts to be more like Robert Plant. And then eventually he just does both. At this point, he's like in Deep Purple, he never quite did the really screamy thing. It was Glenn Hughes that did the higher vocals when it was the two of them. But here he does hit some plant-esque notes as it all um, really climaxes towards the end. So that was interesting. It might, might be the most screamy that I've heard him get that he'd got by that time if that makes any sense whatsoever very clumsy. it makes perfect sense this is cool. the first this is the first time we we get that classic kind of yeah. sound yeah so it feels like we're kind of on track with this and then we hit track three which is called goldie's place and it's like okay this is a very much a curveball and a left turn and anything else which means the same type of metaphor <laughs> so it's like funk it's like Little Feet. It's like Steely Dan. You've got these jazz rock fusion grooves with funky bass. Boom, bap, boom, bap, bap, that type of thing. Not quite slap, but almost slap bass. Electric piano. The it's brass. slap bass played by a guy that can't play slap bass. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, brass, and you've got lots of percussion as well to give it that, that groovy, jazzy flavor. Again, look, I, I actually really like this. I think there's some good hooks and some nice grooves got a great feel again more of those gospely backing vocals really good chorus but this is not this is weird I'm, I'm kind of saying the same thing that you were saying on track one here this is not what you'd expect and it's not quite congruent with the previous track yeah so far we have had three songs in a row that have nothing to do with each other there is no link to them at all this one 
it's like wow now it's time for a soul tune and it's yeah. like wait a minute what when, how did you write this album you know is this stuff you've been writing your whole life and now you just kind of but you only have nine tunes well here's my theory my theory is that when he went solo he wasn't quite sure whether he wanted to do just more deep purple or whether he wanted to be elton john like hey i can play the piano we can write some ballads i can be this guy that's like the ballad dude i can be this pop kind of singer songwriter but also i'm gonna get in a load of hard rock musicians to kind of play riffs and stuff so it's also gonna sound a bit like deep purple so i, I feel like he just wasn't sure which way he wanted to go as a solo artist uh based on what i have heard on this record so far yes he did not know where he wanted to go and he's going everywhere all at once and that's kind of the problem i'm having so far is we have we have an elf tune, we have a white snake tune, and now we have a James Brown tune. Hmm. So yeah. the question now becomes where are we gonna go next? And on see that was Goldie's place. Now we're on the title track White Snake. Which is as one word. So this is the first instance of White yeah. Snake as one word. So there we are. Which Here makes no sense. Lyrically speaking, also makes no sense. You're a white snake woman or woman, you're a white snake, something like that. It's, and, I'll tell you what it says. And I, th I think that maybe some um, double entendre here. It says, got a white snake, mama. You want to shake it, mama. Oh, I was cooking and cleaning while listening, of course, as I do every week. You know, sometimes yeah. it's better that I don't really hear the <laughs> lyrics as, as they're sung. And I just kind of get this. Uh, yeah, because that is. Wow. OK, well, you know what? It's is it really any worse than the boys are feeling hot tonight? No, it's probably not as bad, to be honest. Yeah, it's probably not as bad. Okay. Mm. Well, anyway, so you know, this one it's it's more elf tunes. It's got that piano, it's got, you know, an old-time guitar solo. It's, the drums sound like they were recorded in 1950. This, you know, it, it you get a little bit of Coverdale screamy, just a little bit, not a whole lot. And it's just kind of what is this again? And I mean, bad lyrics by by Coverdale. Okay, well that that that's on brand, and horrible double entendre, also on brand. But then again, it's it's Elf again, and I don't know if this is the. Now that we know that Robert uh, Robert Glover is involved in this, it makes Roger me Glover. Roger Glover. That didn't sound right when I said it. Hmm. Sorry. Now that we know that Roger Glover is involved in this. It makes me wonder that if he, because not that he wasn't in Elf, but he worked with Dio and most of Elf on the, the Butterfly Ball record. Mm. It makes me wonder if they kind of like pushed it, if he pushed it a little bit towards that kind of thing. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. 
Yeah, so this was another single. Um, yeah, it starts off with fastish kind of shuffle grooves. You've got a bluesy riff, a kind of down and down and down and down type riffs and slide guitar and some Hammond organ. I do. I did think this was more hard rockish than certainly than the last track. Um, I thought there were some brilliant vocals. More um, hard rockish than Goldie's song is a very low bar. That's true. Yeah, very true. And I liked the hooks. I thought there was some good writing here. Um, it breaks down to half tempo at one point with, to, to, to do a talk box guitar solo. And then it goes back in, it goes a bit glam rock, theatrical. I don't know. Um, yeah, there are some screamy plant-esque vocals here. Um, yeah, look, I don't absolutely love this one, but I thought it was pretty good. And I thought it was more in keeping with what you'd expect. It's just, but yes, you're right. You've still got the, that, um, that rootsiness, the slide guitar, the Hammond organ. There's probably some piano on it somewhere. I can't remember now, but yeah, more, more of that going on. Um, but I thought it was pretty good actually. And that closes out side two or side. I'm sorry. That closes out side one. And now, like I said before and did not mess it up at all, we flip the record over for side two. All righty. Side two starts off with a fart, if I'm being honest. Time on my side, another Coverdale Moody uh, masterpiece or piece of work, we'll call it. Uh, it's bad. It's, it's just bad. It sounds like it's a TV theme song then not just is it a TV theme song. Because, I mean, I could even see, like, the credits rolling while I'm hearing this tune. You know, back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, we couldn't skip theme songs. We could only watch mm. television, on television, through the mm -hmm. television. There was not really, of course, you know, there was some home, home video stuff, but not for television shows. Mm -hmm. You know, I can remember you would buy like best of the Simpsons. And so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pad a little bit, but so mm -hmm. this is, you know, people of a certain age, like mine and, and mine and older, we strongly remember television theme songs. And yep. now, I mean, of course, nowadays, I don't remember any of the theme songs from the shows, I, from the new shows I watch, but so when a song sounds like a TV theme song, it really sounds like one, it really sticks out. Uh, it's got, you know, some serious, serious gospel singing now. I mean, there there was a hint of gospel before, but now we've just gone full on gospel, which is completely unnecessary, I think. And then it ends up very Beatles-esque, very get by with a little help from my friends kind of vibe. And sounding like another artist is going to be a latent motif on side Mm. Okay, I wonder whether you might have This might be where you combine the uh -oh. two tracks Or even skipped one I uh -oh. don't know But track six, Peace Loving Man Is really, really ballady, gospely, super Is very much in that vein Whereas Time on My Side isn't really Okay, um, so let's assume everything I just said is for the next track. Yeah, let's assume that. But why don't I do the next two together and then we'll see if we get synced up from there, if it Sounds seems good. Right. Okay, so time on my side. So that one starts with a slow, moody, minor key piano. Then it kicks in with some steady, driving, hard rock riffs. And then it continues in kind of dark blues rock mode. Very free-esque in places, some brilliant vocal hooks, really nice feel, great grooves. And a really good chorus. I really like this song. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, 
and it is a rock song. Yes, it's got some. Um, how can I put it? It's it, it's it's got a bit of that groovy bluesy rootsiness, but it's it's um it's a blues rock song, and that's great. That works for Coverdale. So yeah, then we get to Peace Loving Man, and okay, it's a slow six eight ballad with loads of piano and loads of gospel ooze, and Coverdale's in his emotional crooner kind of mode. The chorus is good, it's strong, but it's in the vein of like. I don't know, Elton John, Emma Lou Harris, Stevie Wonder, like classic sort of tear-jerkery songwriters. And there's a bit of country in there, a bit of soul. There's a sax solo. Uh, yeah, is this where you got the sax solo, or have you got that on the... This might tally us up in terms of... I did like, not write about the sax okay, solo. Okay, that's fine. Well, there's a sax solo, and it's pretty bad in my view. It's pretty cheesy, very twee. I would say that's ill-advised. So I actually, I don't think it's a bad song... But I think he pushes the envelope too far. We, we're, we're jumping all over the place here. We've got multiple personality disorder going on, and this it feels it's a bit too out of his comfort zone. He's, he's trying to be that guy that can do the really classic soul song, and he just it doesn't quite come off, and it definitely doesn't fit with the hard rock stuff. Yeah, be. yeah. So now then we move on into sunny days, and yeah, again this. I'm assuming I'm on the right track. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. Just know that it was about something from this album. This one, it, it's 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 like Chicago meets Leonard Skinnerd. Yeah, that sounds right. With a crap ton of slide guitar and yes. So basically, we're doing this song that makes no sense. It's it's all these pieces that don't go together. It's it's like Skinnerd, Chicago, and the Allman Brothers met at a party and decided, yeah. hey, let's do a record and let's not conform anything to anyone else. You just do, Dwayne, you just do you. Billy Powell, just play that boogie woogie piano. And all you horn guys, just blow. And whatever it is, it is. It's this. Yeah. Well, Okay, you know what? I kind of like this one. I get everything you said there, and I don't necessarily disagree. I thought it sounded like the faces, because um, it is all of those things you've said, but also when you put all that together, it kind of came out a bit like the faces. So I thought Coverdale was singing a bit like Rod Stewart, and this just the, the rock and roll grooves with the electric piano. It reminded me of um, some of those tracks off Nods As Good As A Wink To A Blind Horse, I think the album's called. Um, <laughs> Can I point out so, real quick that we have almost not spoken about Coverdale's vocals at all? Yeah, 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 I know what you mean, yeah. That, that just seems really odd to me that we're on track six and the only time, you know, we haven't said he's been good or been bad. It's just, oh, there's a little classical, classic Coverdale here, a little classic Coverdale there. And that's been it. I mean, I think he is good, to be honest. I think he sings really well through all of it. It's not, I don't think his vocals are necessarily produced and mixed in the best way that that, that highlights them as, as, as well as they could have been highlighted. But Probably I think he's true. singing great. Um, yeah, he's singing fine. It's just... It hasn't been anything that we felt the need to even talk about. Yeah, yeah. So I thought the chorus was quite good on this one. It's got some nice brass melodies in between, um, and there's a pretty good slide guitar solo. But yeah, I take your point. It is a bit. Yeah, there's there's the, a lot of, a lot of different elements going on here, and 
all the songs are starting to feel pretty um uh, what's the word just uh, the none of them particularly fit with the others that well let's and put it that on songs like this one this the chorus doesn't fit with the verse doesn't fit with the bridge particularly mm. Mm. and this is just like this is just like making it's, it's like going to a potluck yeah, yeah you're yeah, going to be yeah. eating baked beans with your garlic bread next to <laughs> next to your hamburger yeah yeah and pierogies yeah. I don't know what they are. Pierogies. Pierogies are mashed potatoes inside of a pasta. Wow, okay. I don't think we have that at all. It's but... German. It's German or Polish. Okay. My wife just loves them. I actually had to get a box of them yesterday. Right. And I spent 20 minutes trying to find them because they don't have them in the same place at the store. Right, okay. Interesting. So she eats them with uh, sautéed onions and pepper and sour cream mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're, good. they're an interesting flavor mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll leave it all at right. that all right all right okay so hole in the sky track eight not the black sabbath song i no, it's not emphasize um this oh. was the third single or, or was the the um in 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 not necessarily in order of release but in order of tracks on the album this was the third one that was released as a single starts with some somber piano and electric piano ballad vocals come in big ballad chorus comes in this one just yeah Nick's lighters in the air lighter in the air thing it feels really unconvincing to me the melodies are all a bit forgettable and it just feels forced it's one of those oh we got to do a big tear jerking ballad Coverdale, he has he is, is sometimes known to go a bit over the top with the um the emotional um inflection in his voice. You know, that the thing where you sound like you're almost about to cry while you're singing. He does do a bit of that. He's really doing that here, and it's too much for me. The, the synths all over it, they're all a bit too lush and sort of um Uh-oh. and Go go away is what this song should do. I, I we we had a bit of a glitch there, but the last thing I heard was "go away," which is what the song should do, and I think we got everything we need. Okay. <laughs> However, that being said, I'm going to talk to. Yep. Uh, my my entire notes are: "Ooh, it's sensitive time," and this is when David Coverdale goes for this. He comes off as, and I love the man, but he comes off as convincing. And as genuine as Michael Bolton. <laughs> Previous uh, podcast subject, Michael yeah. Bolton from Blackjack, I might add. Indeed. We're coming up on a hundred of these. So, and there's a lot of, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yes, he, unconvincing is not the right word. This is, this is as bad as, I believe in Life After Love by uh, former podcast subject Black Sabbath with Glenn Hughes. Is that the right one? I believe in Life After Love is share. Oh, wait, I'm I sorry. In love after love. Oh, my God. Uh, what is the, the ballad from the Black Sabbath album? Uh, Changes? Seven Star. Oh, Seven Star. yeah. I can't think what it's called. I don't know. I'll find it. I'll find it. Go on. Okay. So it's horrible. This is horrible. And it goes on. For a long time, oh my God, it's only three minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, 
This yeah. is a song that's three minutes and 23 seconds that feels like 40. Feels like, I mean, ugh, it is. I mean, there's in all the little good bits that he's put in all these other songs, the boogie woogie piano, the slide guitar, the, you know, the nice, good throaty vocals. Mm-hmm. None of it's here. This is just like that. This is the, the part of the song where guy, you know, guys put your arms around your girls and look them deep in the eye and feel things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Which everyone in the 70s did. Indeed. And everyone did it better. Yeah. On Seven Star, by the way, I'm not sure which track it is. It's either No Stranger to Love. That's or... it. No Stranger go, right. to Love. Okay. So I'm sorry. Are. No, it's all right. It's also awful. So we come now to the end, then the the, the final track, Celebration. What did you make of this? Uh continuing on with his uh sounding like someone other than himself, ripping yep. off vocal parts or ripping off lyrical concepts from other people as well we now have boogie woogie disco he is doing celebrate by cool in the gang yeah maybe that actually came later though probably i'm kind of curious now (laughs) all right i'll come in on this one so look this starts with fast latin percussion in the intro, like Santana style. And this is so not David Coverdale at all. Then uh, actually cool in the gang was later. Right. Okay. Sorry. Then funky guitars come in. And then it kicks in with, I would describe it as a kind of funky Latin prog rock. You've got some great Coverdale bluesy screams over the top, but this is odd. The chorus is just a, re- a repetition of the title. Celebration type of thing in gospel style. It's really silly. It just doesn't come across right. I guess look, you could do this right if you're a gospel band and you're really into it and you've got um, you've been building the crowd up and you've been spreading the spreading the love and all the positive sunny vibes and all that. Then you could get away with this. But this just doesn't work for David Coverdale. Um there's loads of instrumental bits and some kind of solo things while all this percussion continues. And it's great percussion. It's played really nicely. And then just lo- then it just finishes with like a minute and a half's worth of celebration, celebration. With like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and alternate pick. So strange. Yeah, disco wah-wah guitar. Yeah, and you can just sort of see people doing all the... Um, I don't know, all, all that sort of... Um, dancing like uh you know um sort of latin american style dancing with all the spinning around and all that and it's but it's so odd then to have coverdales doing bluesy screams over the top and then the gospel's coming in and then we're in gospel church and everybody's getting really uh upbeat and emotional and praise the lord and it's just this is odd i don't understand it it doesn't make sense even on a conceptual level no it's a so you could it's not like it could have just been done a little bit better and it would work no this is all over the place conceptually speaking good. yeah correct well they're not good for coverdale like there's i mean i really like gospel you know but this just doesn't work it's so far down that route it's ridiculous duncan is also very on record uh on for hating the random gospel backup vocals yeah which i, I totally I get, get. I, i'm not a fan either when they're done in the right place, they're fantastic. I mean, 
you know, take Dark Side of the Moon or Wish You Were Here. They've got the gospel backing vocals. Amazing. You know, um, what's it called? Uh, the Lyre of Orpheus and Abattoir Blues by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Gospel choir on it. Amazing. But you've really got to be careful how you use that. Um, you know, And you can't do it on every other tune on your record. Sure, sure, sure. Like this one. And, yes. the, and the thing about the gospel on this is the gospel vocals aren't the worst part. No. If you no. took out, and if you took them out, it would still be terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true. Yeah. So what a strange hodgepodge, hodgepodge of influences and styles. It's all over the place. I guess he was all over the place. Um, he just left Deep Purple. The band had split up. It had all gone a bit wrong. Um, he didn't know what he was doing. He was going solo. He'd never done that before. He didn't know if he wanted to be Stevie Wonder or, um, you know, this this big hard rock guy, which is what he eventually decided to go with. Um, and, yeah, the result is really patchy. Um, I'll be honest, I was... When we got to halfway through, so, so the end of side one, I thought, okay, look, this is flawed, but I'm going to give it a spin it because... Yeah, some of it isn't what you'd expect at all, but it's actually really well done. And it is. There's some really great choruses and hooks and some great writing and some really cool grooves. It's all really well played. But the more we got through side two, I thought, no, this is pushing it too far. It's all over the place. It's not formed enough. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot better stuff out there in all the different styles that he goes to. There's much better stuff out there. And David Coverdale just being David Coverdale. Yes, there's some of that here, but you'd be better listening to Burn or to later White Snake stuff. Um, yeah, so I think I'm going to have to go bin it. Or Coverdale Page, I might add. Yeah, sure. Which supposedly is getting a re-release with extra tracks. And if there's anything we need from Coverdale Page, extra tracks. The boys are feeling extra hot tonight. And oh, tomorrow yeah. They're going to be feeling so hot. They're going to be hot today, tomorrow, and this weekend. Exactly. Exactly. So for me on this one, I, I am going to double up where you said it's not fully formed. That is probably the best way this album could be described. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not fully formed. It goes through every possible genre of music that David Coverdale thinks he's capable of singing. Yeah. He's wrong. On some of the instances, he cannot sing Boogie Woogie. He cannot sing Americana. He cannot sing disco, but he's trying. Hmm. And that's the problem. This is the kind of album that never should have gotten past the drawing board. You know, Duncan always likes to talk about, you know, trim this song, take that, and he blah, blah, blah. Well, for me, you take track two and you can throw the rest away, which is what Hmm. David Coverdale did. Yeah, very true. He re-records that song later with White Snake, mm. and the rest of it he just put it in the bin. So if the guy that wrote it and performed it is throwing it in the bin, who the hell am I to do any different? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I would take yeah, I'd take Blind Man and I'd take Time on My Side as well. I liked that, um, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, two tracks out of nine is not enough. It's it's not enough, and. This is Duncan put it best today when he said David Coverdale didn't know what he wanted to be. Yeah. He didn't know. And so the album is unfocused, meandering, and I think a little drunk. 
to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest with where it shows up. So yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm going to stop talking now because all I'm going to do is start being mean. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, that's about all I got as well. So there we are. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye.